We're continuing with chapter two, understanding Dharma. The Buddha wanted us to practice Dharma. But what is practicing Dharma? Dharma means all things. The forms that the eyes see, sounds heard by the ears, these are all Dharma. Because Dharma means conditions that are maintained in existence. Having come into being, they pass away. We don't need to expect too much from them, because that's the way they are. We should internalize this truth and see it in our minds and bodies. It's not something far away. The components of body and mind are not stable or permanent. They have no inherent reality. The Buddha advised us not to see them as real. Why would you want to see something that has no inherent reality as real? Appearing and disappearing, constantly in a state of change, where is the reality in that? The only reality is this insubstantiality itself. The Buddha wanted us to see this truth, the truth that things are impermanent, unsatisfactory in nature, and without self-essence. Not seeing this and grasping at things, the only result is suffering. Seeing and letting go leads to freedom. So this um, uh, this passage all brings to mind a, a particular um, a, a comment by um, Venerable Ajahn Panyuado, who is a senior Western disciple of uh, Ajahn Mahabua. And... Um, uh, one of the very it's, it sounds a little bit esoteric but it's a very helpful comment I feel, he said uh, the five khandas exist but they're not real the dhamma is real but it doesn't exist uh, uh, and that word, the word exist literally means to stand out from, from exe from ex as in exit <laughs> uh, meaning out uh, and stere, uh, stere means to, to stand, that which stands out. Exis, existere means to to stand out or to have a sort of defined or apparent quality of, of being or substantiality. So that uh, the um, as he's talking about the components of body and mind, the five khandas, have no inherent reality. Don't see them as real. Why would you want to see something that that has no inherent reality as real? So that by taking the five khandas, the body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness, the, the material world, as being something absolutely substantial and solid and real, then, uh, as he says, uh, what that leads to naturally is grasping what we like, what we uh, what we don't like, uh, taking ownership of things. Um, uh, dividing the world into inside and outside, self and other, and uh, that naturally brings with it a, a quality of, of discord or dis, uh, disharmony. The only reality is this insubstantiality itself. So the, the, one, you know, the one real thing <laughs> is that uh, things are, are uh, insubstantial. That and even to use the word thing uh, in English, it the, it implies a kind of uh, independence or, or, or quality of of substance, but uh, 
in in reality, um, in, in 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 Buddha Dhamma, a sankara, which is another, which is like the, the Pali word for thing, is much more of an event rather than a, a, an entity or a, a, a fixed, separate, in, independent object. So sankara is a coming together of things in a particular pattern, like. A word is a sankara, a book is a sankara, a human being is a sankara, a building, a monastery, the, uh, the planet, these are all sankaras. They're, they're events that come together and they, uh, some events move quickly in, all, in our terms, like a word <laughs> begins and ends quite quickly. Some events um, uh, take place quite slowly, like a planet or a solar system, you know, that... Uh, these uh, billions of years go by, and that's on a planet coming together and falling apart. But these are still just really events. They're they're compounded. They're a, a, a confluence of qualities and perceptions, and so that their insubstantiality is, uh, in a way, it's it's uh, it's going against the habit of thinking these are substantial. These have substance. This is a real thing. This this book. Uh, you know, it came together. The the paper that this is made from came from trees in various different countries. The the glue that sticks the the pages together came from somewhere else. The ink that forms the marks on the pages came from somewhere else. And it all comes together, and we say book, dumb book. <laughs> but it's it's an event. It's come together before Paul Brighter uh, did this translation and persuaded Shambhala Publications to print it. It didn't exist, and then he made an arrangement. He wrote the book. They took the manuscript, they printed up these copies, and then it'll be a book for a while, and then its its bookness will will eventually come to an end when it falls apart or it burns up in a fire or gets destroyed by uh, by mold or termites or, or whatever. That uh, it's it's a slowly moving event <laughs> rather than a thing in and of its own right. So that. Um, Insubstantiality uh, is a lot, very long English word, but it's really talking about how what we experience moment by moment are a set of processes and events uh, rather than, than things and people. If that makes sense. Any questions, thoughts? Arjun consciousness. It's, and that's a debate in all different traditions, but would we be saying that it was one or an individual consciousness which would make not self tricky or um, does not apply because it's formless? Does the Buddha actually state what he would describe as consciousness? Yeah, when he's defining vinyana, I mean, the the word in English has got a big variety of meanings, like the word thing. Yeah. Yeah, consciousness can mean a whole big variety of things. So um, when when the the um, uh, when the Buddha's, I think in an earlier reading, maybe you were around for uh, for it or not, when the Buddha says uh, vinyana is called vinyana because it it, it, it cognizes. What is it? Uh, what does it cognize? It cognizes salty, it cognizes sour, it cognizes sweet. Just uses the example of tasting. And so it's a it's probably the better translation is discriminative consciousness. Because the word is made up of, of two parts, vi and jnana. 
So V in this respect, like Vipassana, is a prefix. So the V in this respect means um, a, se- a separate or um, or partial, fragmented. Um, and jnana is knowing. So uh, essentially, essentially knowing one part from another, knowing one bit from another. So discriminate the 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 capacity of the mind to discriminate one object from another. So it's very much a conditioned process. So one of the ways that uh, I, uh, in terms of the five khandhas, because we tend to use the word consciousness as as a sort of synonym for for the quality of of awareness itself, but um, one way I think it's it's helpful to regard it is that just as with each of the other five khandhas, the material form, feeling, perception, mental formations, they are. They're, they're patterns of experience that uh, that take shape. That the perception of the body, the uh, the you know, uh, feel, uh, the perception of feelings, perceptions of color and light and sound and so forth, and the perception of of thoughts and emotions and ideas. So vinyana, uh, one way I like to describe it is, it's like the it, you go from, in the five khandhas, you go from the coarsest end of the spectrum. Um, you, know, you begin with rupa, most sort of obvious material form, uh, and then vinyana is the most refined. So I would say that vinyana is like the building blocks of experience. So like you know you have a a digital recording, right? So this is registering on this recorder as a lot of ones and zeros. You put them all together, and it comes out as Ajahn Amaro giving a dhamma reading and uh, making some comments and so on. Um, it's the building blocks of that sound and that recording are just ones and zeros registering on this device. Um, so the vinyana is like the ones and zeros of experience, like the pixels of a of a, um, a digital photograph. You know, each one is just a you know a, a blue one or a red one or a yellow one, and then you arrange it. You take a picture, and then that picture says, "Oh, look! It's the Amravati Temple, or it's the Sala at Amravati, or it's." Imagine Congress face, uh, but the if you turn up the, mag- up the magnification, it's just dot 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 dot. So that then the quality of awareness itself is what knows those the, the different spectrum of of uh, mixtures. So that you have the rupa vedana sanya sankara vinyana. So I mean they're called aggregates. So you can think of them as like in a builder's yard. You've got the the building blocks down at one end. Then you've got the the um, the the heavy rubble. You've got the light rubble. You've got uh, gravel. You've got uh, you've got uh, sharp sharp sand and fine sand. You know you've got like a spectrum of of uh, of materials from the coarsest to the finest. But the the mind which is actually knowing uh, in its in its essence, I would say that is. That's not something that's conditioned, and that's why liberation is possible because there is that quality of knowing which is, which is outside of the five khandhas. It knows the five khandhas, but it's not, it's not uh, limited by them. And in this reading, Lumpur goes into quite a lot of detail about Buddha and Dhamma uh, as qualities, so that that uh, that quality of of knowing that awakened awareness, the the puru or the the or the tatru, the the element of knowing, that uh, that is an, the natural attribute of the dhamma of uh, and that 
that knowing, when it's completely un, unoccluded, unobstructed by any greed, hate, or, or delusion, that is what you you call the Buddha mind or the awake aware mind, the quality of vijaya itself. Um, and so that the uh, in that respect, vijnana as one of the five khandhas is much more part of the object realm rather than the subject realm. That's not too esoteric. That's just my my favorite way of talking about it. Yes. Are there other qualities of uh, awareness itself uh, besides uh, knowing? Um, you, uh, the uh, one very handy place where it's talked about that Lumposomata likes to quote very often is um, where it's uh, uh, <laughs> and usually the word vinyana is used to refer to it. But uh, the other qualities are anidasana, which means um, not, uh, un- unmanifest or formless, invisible. Ananta, which means limitless, infinite. Sabato, and then the third quality is sabato pabang, which means radiant in all directions. So along with the quality of knowing, there's, uh, there's formlessness or invisibility uh, and uh, brightness and limitlessness. Yes. Yeah, I think I've read about um, some in some places in, in the canon it talks about vinyana consciousness, which is unestablished. Yes. And it's almost like a, a third category, but well, we're a third category where it's talking about it doesn't land in the figure of the window. Yes. Mm. There's, there's no to land. How does that relate to this non-manifest radiance? Uh, well, I would say that's, a, um, that's if you look at <laughs> the chapter called Unsupported and Unsupportive Consciousness in the island, it talks all, all about that. And uh, the uh, I would say it's the same, because the, Buddha, the example the Buddha gives um, is saying that if you, uh, uh, if you have a, a, a building with a window in the uh, in the eastern wall, then um, if the sun, if the, in the morning when the sun comes through that, that window, through the eastern window, you know, where does it land? And he said, uh, and then I think it's Ananda, he says, on the floor. And if, if there's the floor, then where does it land? Well, on the water. <laughs> Assuming there's some water. If there's no water, then where does it land? It doesn't land. But even so, that uh, if, there, if consciousness is not given a, a landing place, then it, it, it's unsupport. Uh, it's unsupported. It uh, it um, it it doesn't land on on anything. It's uh, it's an awake aware quality, and so then and then in that vinyanang anidasanang that when that is talking about the the enlightened mind, and the Buddha says that uh, in that 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 mind that quality of awareness. Uh, it then he said, long and short and coarse and fine, earth, water, fire and wind, they can find no footing. They are unsupportive, so that they they can find no footing. Because it's in that uh, the the first part of the of that well one one sutta where that appears the Kevada Sutta. Um, this monk has had this thought: where is it that earth, water, fire and wind come to an end and cease without remainder? And then he goes up to the all the way up to the Brahma world, trying to find an answer to this, and and Brahma eventually says, 
I don't know the answer to this question. You're embarrassing me in front of my attendants. You. <laughs> Besides, you're a disciple of the Buddha. You should ask him. So then uh, he goes to the Buddha, and the Buddha said, well, the way you ask the question presumes a reality that doesn't exist. You're asking the question in the wrong way. What you should have asked is, where is it that, long, uh, that earth, water, fire, and wind, and long and short, and coarse and fine, and pure and impure, can find no footing, they, where well, they can find no landing place? And then he says, Vinyanang Anidasanang Anantang Sabato Prabang. In that awareness, that, that, that knowing quality that is, uh, is non-manifestative or, in, or formless, uh, limitless and radiant in all directions. There, is, there it is that long, um, earth, water, fire and wind can find no footing. So it's not giving a, a place to land. Or, or like with Lumpur Dun saying that the, the delivery arrives but I don't accept it. The, uh, that, that there, there isn't a, 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 a substantiality being given to long and short, coarse and fine, pure and impure, and the, the four elements and so on. But uh, I think it is chapter 8 of the island. Anyway, it's called unsupported, unsupported and unsupportive consciousness. So we put all of those together. You're scratching your ear, or you have a question? So I could ask it. <laughs> if it's if it's if it's not going anywhere to land, but it's still it's still cognized. The um, that the, uh, where long and short and coarse and fine and pure and impure have no place to land, so that they're still they're still known as qualities, but they're not given that false substantiality. They're not. I am experiencing material form, or I. This is my thought, or my desire, or my fear. Uh, I'm. I'm angry. I'm hungry. I'm excited. Those. Even if the the again going to the subject of conven- conventional speech in the reading yesterday. Even if the conventionally we say you know I, I, I'm hungry or you know, I'm excited then even as those words take shape, the mind knows, well, this is just a convenient way of expressing and, and talking about things without imputing a, a fixed and independent entity. So things are still cognized. It's not like an arahant is totally spaced out or can't see or hear or smell or taste or touch. Um, that that vinyanang anidasanang, it's really describing the, uh, the enlightened mind. So it actually it's, in a way... It's more acutely sensitive and attuned to you know, sight and sound, smell and taste and touch, but it's knowing those without without delusion, without uh, without duality of subject and object, and and uh, uh, a me here experiencing a world out there of sort of fixed, separate uh, subject and object qualities. Okay, to continue. Those who genuinely practice are respectful. Why? Because they see the Buddha. When they sit here, it's as if the Buddha were in front of them. Walking, standing, lying down, it's the same. They cannot get away from it. They witness this in their own minds, so they respect Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. The Buddha Sasana does not become weakened or diluted. It's not given up and cannot be lost because it exists in their minds. Wherever they are, they're hearing the Dharma of the Buddha. This concept almost made my head explode when I first encountered it. 
I went to listen to, to teachings from Ajahn Man, and he said, You, practice along, and listen to the Dharma of the Buddha. When you sit under a tree, listen to the teaching of the Buddha. When you walk, listen to the Dharma of the Buddha. When you sleep, listen to the Dharma of the Buddha. I couldn't get it. I just couldn't figure it out, because it doesn't come from figuring and thinking. This is something that has to come from a pure mind. I couldn't properly contemplate these words because they're talking about really seeing Dhamma. But this isn't something far away because that which is not Dharma does not exist. So this is a good example of we're talking about the contemplative process a few times and how when we hear something we go, what the heck does that mean? Oh, like, well, I hear it, I understand the words, but what is that talking about? And then, so this is when uh, uh, the young Ajahn Chah spent three days with uh, with Ajahn Man uh, in the um, uh, in the late nineteen forties, uh, and was very impacted by this this teaching. It was something he, he hadn't heard before. Um, the idea that the the, the Buddha is uh, is the awake quality of the mind, and that uh, that Dharma or Dhamma is a not just the words of the Buddha, but it's the you know, the the fundamental reality of all things. And so, when when uh, Ajahn Man said, um, "Listen to uh, listen to the Dharma of the Buddha." When you sit under a tree, listen to the teaching of the Buddha. When you walk, listen to the Dharma of the Buddha. When you sleep, listen to the Dharma of the Buddha. So the young Ajahn Chah is like, "What? How do I do that?" This is before having earpods. And a, an app where you could play Dharma teachings <laughs> straight into your brain. Uh, so it's like, huh, what's he talking about? I don't get this. Um, and so it, it's a, a good example. But he had faith in the teacher. Well, he's he's a great enlightened master, and he knows what he's talking about. So what is he talking about? How does this work? What what does this mean? So I think it's a um, uh, a very um, a very good example of of his own practice and how hearing something and then just um, looking at it, exploring at it, exploring it, and, and uh, working it out in uh, uh, through a contemplative uh, examination. It's also um, that quality of he says those who genuinely practice are respectful. I think is an interesting. And helpful way of expressing things, because um, the uh, that sense of uh, it sometimes the practice can lead to to uh, more conceit and and that uh, thinking that we are uh, so better than other people that we can sort of look down on others who don't practice or are not as sort of spiritually uh, mature as we think we are. So it can. Uh, even though the, the the practice of Dhamma is in order to let go of conceits, it can make us very very conceited, and um, and so and, and I I do you you come across that, um, um, uh, and uh, it's really quite quite weird when someone is just really thinks they're somebody special or that they're sort of spiritually superior, or they'll say things like you know I, I I've realised. Um, I've gained a certain level of realization, and you haven't. So therefore, you know, you should, you should look up to me. Like, just even the idea, even saying the words out loud, it's like, it's like, 
this is a really weird way to function. If if your mind, if you've got, if you're so deluded that you actually express those words to anybody, uh, then you're really in trouble. <laughs> I would say that's a, a deep sense of delusion. So and respectful, not just to to other people, other but other beings, uh, and also material objects that you that is really interesting when you are around people who are highly accomplished practitioners, they don't just respect, relate respectfully to other people and are very kind of polite and, and gracious in terms of, of people, irrespective of whether they know them or not or whether they, whatever kind of social position they might have or lack of social position. They're, they're always you know, very, very respectful, very gracious, but also the way they, they treat the material world that uh, they're people who are, are, I would say, have genuinely developed a, a high degree of spiritual maturity. They they treat the material world also very respectfully. The things that they use, they they look after carefully. They put things down carefully. They they take care of the the, the things around them. They don't take anything for granted. It's not a, a kind of casual or, or um, dismissive attitude. Or, and also not oh it's just a material object doesn't really matter then that doesn't uh, at least my my experience of being around the, a number of, of very very wise beings uh, there's a, um, um, a, a that respectfulness uh, kind of uh, operates through the human world the the, the living world the material world and and uh, uh, and you know, social forms and and, uh, and material objects, all of that is it's all treated with a, a sense of, of of care and attention and uh, and respectfulness as an attunement, so that the mind isn't just sort of dismissing or ignoring people or things, uh, or animals, and saying they don't matter or it's insignificant, but treating things carefully with the quality of sort of attunement to the time, the place, the situation, and um, that um, uh, is, a, is also very inspiring, very gladdening quality to be around. We think the Buddha entered final nirvana long ago, but in truth, the one who sees the Dharma sees the Buddha. It's difficult to get this point. When you see Buddha, you see Dharma. When you see Buddha and Dharma, you see Sangha. They exist in the mind, but see them clearly. Don't merely pick up the words to play with. Otherwise, people will say such things as, the Buddha is in my mind, but their behavior doesn't match, and they never practice or realize anything according to the Buddha's intention. So uh, so talking about Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha as qualities of mind, uh, so that the Dhamma as the, the fundamental uh, reality uh, of things, the uh, ultimate reality of uh, of all things, uh, and in that respect, Dhamma being equivalent to nature, uh, and uh, Buddha as the quality of awareness that arises from the Dhamma, and then Sangha as a quality of virtuous activity. And he's saying, you know, if you have that, oh, the Buddha, the, the Dhamma, the Sangha is in my mind, or uh, I have the, all beings have Buddha nature, I've got Buddha nature, therefore everything I do is good. And so that because the, the Buddha is the essence of my mind, and they could take that as an idea, as an inspiring idea, but describing the idea, um, maybe the actions and attitudes are still being influenced 
by greed, hatred, delusion, uh, self-centeredness, and and habits uh, and opinions. And so that's why Bhumbacha says um, people say things. The Buddha is in my mind, but their behavior doesn't match. The behavior is not in accord with if they really, if their mind really was uh, act, uh, embodying that quality of awakened awareness, then they wouldn't be grasping opinions, or they wouldn't be judging other people, they wouldn't be um, following impulses of, of greed, of fear, or aversion, and such like. Um, so, as he said, so that's why he says that you can have the idea the Buddha is in my mind, but <laughs> the, if it's just the idea that's being that's being taken hold of, then the behavior and the attitudes don't really match that that idea. You can put it on a sticker on your fridge or on a <laughs> write it out on, with fridge ma- uh, magnets on your fridge, or have a bumper sticker or a T-shirt. The, the Buddha is uh, the Buddha is in my mind, or uh, I believe in Buddha nature. But that's just a T-shirt. You know, it's just some magnets on the fridge. It doesn't really uh, change anything. And so that, uh, as they say, that. Uh, you know, you might have a recipe, or that the the um, uh, that uh, ancient uh, uh, saying, "Painted cakes do not satisfy." So, a picture of a cake is a picture. It's not a cake. <laughs> so, it might be a really nice picture, but it's a, it's a picture. It's not a cake. So, you, you know, that painted cakes do not satisfy. Or just reading the recipe for the cake. You know, it's like oh, it's an interesting recipe, but the, the recipe is not the cake either. So that the the, what he's pointing to is the the real cake, uh, as it were. The mind is the one that knows the Dharma. The one who knows is Buddha. The Buddha taught Dharma. He was enlightened to Dharma, but he did not take enlightenment away with him. For example, you might be a teacher, like a school teacher. You weren't born as a teacher. You studied to accumulate knowledge and got experience at teaching people. You work at it for a number of years, and someday you'll retire and then pass away. But we can say the teacher doesn't die because the virtues that make you a teacher haven't disappeared. The Dharma of ultimate reality, the truth that makes one a Buddha, doesn't disappear. So we can say that there are two Buddhas, that of his physical form and that of his mind. The Buddha said, Ananda, practice well, develop yourself well, you will blossom in the sasana. Whoever sees Dharma sees me, and the one who sees me sees Dharma. So uh, this is, well, again, Lumpur paraphrasing a bit the, the uh, scenario at the, at the Parinivana, at the, the end of, of his life uh, in the human, uh, as part of the human world. And uh, so uh, the, the, the scenario was that and uh, Ananda was crying because the, the Buddha's life was coming to an end. He told people he's going to the Parinibbana will be realized uh, shortly. So uh, Ananda is leaning up against the the doorway of the the Kuti, crying, and then he someone brings a message to the Buddha saying, you know, Ananda is weeping, uh, and uh, so Buddha says, tell him to come and see me. So then uh, he uh, invites Venerable Ananda to come to where the, where he's lying down under the sal trees. And uh, he says, yeah, Ananda, yeah, uh, uh, you know, why are you crying? Says, well, because, well, <laughs> sir, you're, uh, the Parinibbana is about to take place and uh, you know, you're going to be disappearing from the world. He said, well, when the Tathagata passes uh, out, of, uh, out of existence, 
will the Dhamma cease to cease to be? Will that will the eightfold path cease to cease to exist? Will that, will that no longer be uh, 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 some, something that's realizable? No, that the Dhamma carries on, or the the eightfold path still can be practiced. And then um, this: whoever sees Dharma sees me. One who sees me sees the Dharma. Again, that's a, a uh, um, very similar to the dialogue that the Buddha had with with uh, Vakali, who was a monk who I mentioned a few days ago. Uh, when he was uh, very sick, the Buddha heard that, uh, that Vakali was um, was uh, was very very ill, close to death, and so the Buddha went to go and see him in the his uh, his kuti on. Uh, Near a place called the Black Rock, near Rajagaha, the slopes of Isigili, and when uh, the Buddha went to Vakali's kuti, and Vakali was trying, so, so sick he was trying to get up and couldn't couldn't really uh, get up properly, the Buddha said, "Please don't uh, don't get up. You know, just be um, take take your ease. Just you know, stay lying down." And uh, and uh, Vakali says, "Yeah, but I want to pay respects to you. It's a long time since I've seen you." and uh, and then, uh, <clears throat> and so I, I really want to to greet you in a proper way. And uh, then the Buddha said, "Why do you want to pay respects to this 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 filthy body? Um, one who sees the Dhamma sees me. One who sees sees me sees the Dhamma." And so that he um, uh, that's a, a very well known uh, phrase in the, in the suttas and often quoted by Lumpur uh, Chah that. Uh, Seeing the Buddha, seeing the Dhamma is the same as seeing the Buddha. As, and, and as he says that the in the eye, in the in the minds of most most people, particularly in Thailand, uh, when we think of the word Buddha, it means you know, that being uh, the great master who founded this religion two and a half thousand years ago. Um, but um, uh, and then that principle of the Buddha saying, "If you see the Dhamma, you see, you're seeing me. If you see if you see me, you're seeing the Dhamma." So if the Dhamma is being realized, you know you are face to face with the Buddha. That's uh, the the Buddha is is present, and that is some uh, a connection that people would uh, would miss, uh, but Lumpur Chow would, would emphasize and uh, and highlight very very strongly and repeatedly. There's also another uh, sutta in the Itiwutaka called the hem of the robe, and uh, the, uh, in it the Buddha says, um, if uh, <clears throat> if some if uh, if a monk took uh, took hold of the the, the hem the, the border of my robe and followed me and followed me around literally holding onto the edge of my robe, if his heart was filled with greed, hatred, and delusion, it would be as if he was you know, far away. It would be a hundred leagues away, you know, the other side of the Himalayas. Um, but uh, someone who might be the other side of the Himalayas, if their heart is free of greed, hatred, and delusion, then it's as if they're sitting face to face with the Tathagata. And again, that's a, a, a very significant teaching, and that Lumpur Chah would use that um, uh, in exactly the same way. That if you're seeing the Dhamma, you're, you're together with the Buddha. The Buddha is present. That's a, that awake, aware quality is is um, is actualized, is present. We hear the words and don't really know what they're about. It gets confusing. Dharma is Buddha, Buddha is Dharma. But truth is like this. At first there was no Buddha. When he realized Dharma, he was given the title Buddha. Before that, he was Prince Siddhartha Gautama. We are the same. We're called Joe or Alice or perhaps Prince so-and-so. 
But if you realize the Dharma, then we too are Buddha, no different from him. So understand that the Buddha is still living. Where is the Buddha? Whatever we do, truth is there. We think we can do evil and it doesn't matter. No one sees. Watch out. The Buddha sees. The Buddha still exists to support us to walk the path properly and continuously, but we don't see, we don't know it. Those who practice won't doubt good and evil. They are their own witness. But we think we can act in unwholesome ways and no one sees. There's no such thing. We see. (laughs) Wherever we are, whatever we do, for good or bad, we don't go beyond it. This is called karma. Truth in actions exists. The Buddha taught according to that principle. If everyone in the world were to practice and realize truth, they would all be transformed and become Buddha, the one who teaches the path of virtue. So, the Buddha still exists. You should be really happy about this. It's not something to feel sad about, but some people feel frustrated and say, Oh man, if the Buddha was still here, I would have made it by now. I would be enlightened. But in truth, he is really here. The path of practice the standard of right and wrong is still here. So some very emphatic comments from uh, Lumpur Cha there, and uh, that um, I think very very helpful. That uh, and particularly that uh, we think we can do unskillful things, and they, oh, no one's watching, or you know, I'm, I'm by myself, no one, no one sees. And again, this is a very frequent theme of uh, of Lumpur Cha. So yeah, there there is someone who's seeing. You know, you. <laughs> <laughs> that that the wisdom faculty of the mind is is there. You, you might want to switch it off, but it, it is it is still there. It, it knows, it sees, and even if you're carried away by an impulse towards you know, anger or aversion or desire, or fear, you know when that has abated, then you recognize, oh, that was really foolish, or why did I get caught up in that? That was uh, that was very you know, selfish or greedy and so on. Uh, and that's that's helpful. That that kind of arising of that recognition is extraordinarily helpful and skillful. That's what is called the the, the guardian of the, the guardians of the world, the Lokopala. So any thoughts, questions on any of that? Yes. Um, yeah, Ajay, you mentioned that um, basically this awakened uh, awareness would be something out of the five khandas and basically I just, uh, since a few years, I'm trying to find the... Um, Svinyana, how this works together with Namurupan, I, uh, I just don't see any need for it to be out of the five khandas. I, I think if there is a cessation of all these and there is the knowledge I know how it can cease, there is no... That's in, enough in itself, like there, there wouldn't be any need. It's just, that's already like peaceful and uh, the, the, the code that is always like uh, it's basically in many versions of that sutta, the Brahmani Mantanika Sutta, it's actually said by Brahma. So it's, I think it's only the Pali. So it's kind of, it's more like the cessation, I think, that is important in the whole thing. And, and that can be, in itself, can be something that is, is enough to be called full liberation. I don't see any why would you put something and actually like consciousness is not it's it's not part of Namarupa because uh, they ha- how they work together that's the whole process of this whirling around and if that can cease that's that's enough that's, that's the environment. 
Yeah, you know, I find it, it takes a, a lot of contemplation. Uh, so it's it's good to to be digging into these things and find, getting a feel for how uh, all uh, how it all works together and the the uh, what the meaning of the different terms are. And I find it took years and years just to get a feeling for what is the referent of the terms when we use like Nama Rupa. What's that referring to? Or or that oh that that, that sutra that, the, the two bundles of reeds, not you know, Vinyana and Nama Rupa, leaning on each other like two bundles of reeds. Like, huh? What? <laughs> and that Bhikkhu Nyanananda's uh, book, The Magic of the Mind, is very help, helpful on that. He, Talks about the uh, Nama Rupa Vinyana vortex, and uh, so. Uh, but I, I find it took years and years and years just to get a feeling for what the words are referring to and some sort of sense of how it operates. But um, I think that the the uh, the the basic principle of and that what was uh, one the, one of the teachings that was very impactful on the young Ajahn Chah was that um, when when Ajahn Man said. Um, there, there has to be a quality of of knowing awareness that's outside the five khandhas because if every kind of cognition, any kind of every kind of knowing was was conditioned or formed, then liberation would be impossible. And it was like a very simple statement, and that um, uh, and it just really it really hit Ajahn Chah. He so he sort of took that with him and thought, oh, oh, right, you know, rather like this thing about the the Buddha in mind. It's like, oh. Oh, kind of. Well, that sort of. I think that changes everything. I think, and the sort of, and then that was something he he explored and worked on for for you know, months afterwards as he was traveling, as I understand the the accounts. And then that, uh, and it's also, it's uh, I think it's acknowledged by quite a few of the forest ajans that that doesn't accord with what the Abhidhamma says. There's a. Actually, if I can be heard, or like going against it's it's what I because I also try to find out where is that coming from. And actually, it's um, sutta, but I think the quality of the mind, like it's like a gold, and and the define like a gold, 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 gold. and uh, these defines they're like agantuka, so it's kind of became that, uh, that like how we seek, it's like, oh, well, there is this original purity, and it wouldn't be possible if there wouldn't be there, like, the, the God is pure in itself, but actually it's just talking about it can be removed, but it's not like there is this like quality that it's, it's like, it becomes something substantial or something mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. It's also interesting with that, that passage from... Uh, the Vinyanang Anidasanang and Antang Sabhutopabang. The only two places you find that there's a Brahma god involved in both in the Kevada Sutta and the Brahma Nimantana, uh, the invitation to the Brahma. And so Ajahn Pasno's theory is that he uh, he reckons that there must there's probably some kind of uh, Vedic or Brahminical text that he has a similar phrase that the Buddha was 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 kind of um turning to his own use because he does that frequently there's quite a number of places like when he's talking to Bahia that the 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 words he uses to Bahia are close to what you find in the Briha Aranyaka Upanishad uh, in some ways that uh, 
that, or at least that as I have been uh, advised, or uh, having looked at it myself, and saying that that he spoke to because Bahia was a bark-clad ascetic, and that was a particular teaching that was significant to the bark-clad ascetic group, and so the particular phraseology that the Buddha used was related to to that. And there's quite a number of places uh, where he's taking something that is of a familiar terminology or languaging from one particular group, or he's talking to like, or like a talking to a cow herd about the the eleven ways that you need to 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 look after your cows, and then the eleven ways of looking after the mind in a skillful way. So, so uh, so Lumpur Pasano's uh, thought was there's probably some kind of scripture. That that there's a, a phrase that's something like that that the Buddha was take because it's so unique that the use of the word vinyana the Buddha's taking that and just sort of making his own riff upon it. But we've never. I, I thought that sounds suspiciously likely, but I haven't been able to track it down. I've even asked a couple of Sanskrit scholars about it. Actually, uh, uh, Bhikkhu Analeo, he he says it's not because he he also someone mentioned it to him and he said that. I don't know, but, uh, but basically he said it's it's not he himself. He, he had a look in the, in the scriptures and he, he think it's not correct. Yes. Not not correct, but as as, as a theory. Uh, yeah, that it's it's um, because the reference doesn't make sense with it. So. Mm-hmm. From his study. So, any other thoughts, questions? The Buddha called humans special beings, quote-unquote, those able to realize Dharma. Unlike animals, for example, we can understand concepts. When trained by a qualified teacher, we can practice and realize the truth. It's much easier for us than for other beings. The teachings say that human birth is hard to attain. It's just difficult to understand. We think, how can that be? People are being born constantly. Sometimes they're even two born born together. We don't quite get it because we don't know what a real human being is. We look around and we see plenty of people. A person without virtue is one type of human, just barely human. He or she is another kind of animal, only having the name human. So I know that uh, particularly in the West, people are sometimes have a very elevated view of the animals, and you make these kind of comments, and people say, "Ajahn, you don't know my cat. You know, my cat is a very spiritual being, and, or my dog. You know, my dog is the most spiritually advanced member of the family." And so sometimes people take great great exception, and they're very offended by animals being given a, a low status in, in that, but. Having lived with a lot of animals and growing up with my parents are both dog breeders, and so that's how they met. So growing up with lots of dogs and horses, uh, and on a farm, so that uh, the 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 um, the factor with the animal realm is that it, uh, it's much much harder for animals to get a perspective on their likes and dislikes, and their their instinctual pulls towards territory, towards food, towards sex, towards uh, the uh, the pecking order, uh, and so on and so forth, and that um, 
they seem to be uh, a lot less able to uh, uh, capable of, of conceptual thought. Some animals seem to have quite uh, advanced mental functions, like whales or dolphins, or um, and some dogs and horses and such like. That they they can see they can manifest quite discerning qualities. But generally speaking, the animal realm is is uh, very um, uh, much driven by instinct. And uh, uh, there's very little objectivity and clarity uh, uh, that's, say, uh, accessible for most animals. The teachings that say that human birth is hard to attain, um, and uh, the, this uh, thing about uh, the uh, a person without virtue is one type of human, just barely human. He or she is another kind of animal, only having the name human. So this is part of Buddhist psychology. Some people are familiar with, others will not be. So the two words that are used for a human, uh, one is pugala and the other is manusa. And so uh, uh, you can be a uh, pugala is having a human body, um, and so that being a, a physical person. Um, a manusa is if you're if you're actually living in the in the human realm, the manusa loka. So when Lumpacha say is Speaking in this way, he's representing that sort of classical um, representation of things. That uh, and what defines a manusa is living by the five precepts. That's what what makes a one kind of living in the the human realm. So you can be going around with a with a, a human body, but actually not living in the human realm. So. Um, that uh, that's the the, um, the the background to this, and so the uh, the the in the depiction, the classical depictions of the six realms, then the human realm, uh, the images for the human realm, uh, are, is often you know the Buddha and a group of the Sangha on their arms round, and, and uh, people you know, offering alms food as a sort of representation of of sort of virtuous or wholesome activity. So that's what. Uh, so, so sila is the defining faculty factor of the manusa loka. We come into this world, and as children, don't know what this is all about. We don't know what to practice. Don't know what's the the true wealth and virtue of human existence. As we grow up, we learn from parents and teachers, gradually developing virtues and become complete humans. Then we can say that a human is born. So that, that uh, actually, sort of, in a way, entering the Manusaloka is uh, taking on the, the five precepts, or living by at least the five precepts. As humans, we have greater potential than animals. I've sometimes given the example of a dog sleeping on a pile of unthreshed rice. When the dog gets hungry, he has to go looking for food. No matter how big the pile of rice, he can't make use of it, because a dog can't thresh rice and cook it. He might go wandering all around and find nothing, only to return to the heap of rice. He'll be lying there, his empty stomach growling. He's right at the source of food, but could die of starvation. So humans have this greater potential. It can be used for good or evil. An evil person, the type we call a human animal, a, a, a pugala who's not a manusa, uh, may even destroy a whole nation. But we never hear of a dog destroying a country. I think it's extremely pertinent point <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, uh, there's no animal that started a war that I'm uh, uh, 
led a, a country into war, as far as I'm aware. You never hear of a dog destroying a country. On the other hand, if a human being takes an interest in Dharma and practices sincerely, he or she can accomplish things that are, that are impossible for an animal. So one of the the um, uh, the the ways that it is talked about in, the, in human birth is is hard to attain. And the the Im- uh, some of you might be familiar with the image of a it says uh, it does come from the suttas where the Buddha says if you have a, a if there's a wooden ring floating on the surface of the ocean and there's a turtle living in the ocean swimming around and once every hundred years the turtle comes to the surface to to take a breath and then goes back down again. He said, it's easier, it's more likely that the turtle will come up and put its head through the, the wooden ring than it is for an animal to, to enter, so a being who's been in the animal realm, to be born in the human realm. So that's uh, one of those very graphic uh, images of the, the Buddha. So if, you, uh, if uh, the mind has descended into the animal realm, it's, pretty, it's hard to back out. Um, and so that uh, that is one of those very dramatic graphic images that the Buddha presents. So tricky, uh, difficult to be born in the human realm, but uh, the uh, another the ways that uh, Lumpur Sumedha would talk about this about the also the potential of the human realm is that uh, why this is uh, and Buddhas are always born in the human realm. You know, at least in the Southern Buddhist tradition. Buddhas are always born in the human realm. They they're not born as devas or brahmas or or animals. Uh, um, they're always born in the human realm, and because the human realm has the perfect mixture of dukkha and sukha, uh, that uh, and as Ajahn Sumedho would put it, we have the body of an animal but the mind of a god, and so that mixture um, of we can have experiences of of great great happiness and clarity and and wholesomeness. And we can also have experiences of great, great pain and struggle and difficulty. That that mixture is is ideal um, territory that we can't get completely lost in blissful experiences for, for years and years and years. We've got to get up and eat or stretch our legs, or we have to to um, pay the bills, you know, or, you know deal with the, the the body functions of various kinds. Um, and also that uh, that we might be experiencing you know, great suffering or painfulness or difficulty, but it it doesn't last that long. It, it, things things pass over, and there is relief from dukkha, and also because of the presence of spiritual teachings in the world uh, and great uh, accomplished beings who can guide and, and give advice, then uh, the human realm is considered to be the absolute sort of prime territory, rather like the. Um, the, the sort of fertile zone at the uh, the water's edge, what the the what they call the littoral zone between the water and the land, with the the warm tide pools where uh, life can easily evolve and develop. Then the, the human realm is like that that kind of boundary state of like between the water, the sea and the land, where you between the the uh, the animal realm and the and the the deva realm, that is just a perfect mixture of sukha and dukkha, happiness and unhappiness, comfort and discomfort. And so then, uh, and the uh, and also the capacity to um, develop wisdom and uh, the the thinking mind. Also, the word manusa uh, is connected 
Oh, well, there's different theories. To Manu, as uh, kind of the originator of the human race back in, in mythology, but also Mano as in mind, so that the Manusa is the, the thinking animal, the, 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 uh, the, and the, the mental aspect is um, one of the defining characteristics of the, the Manusa Loka, where the, the thinking animal. And also, I did hear that the in the word human, the man of human is also from Mano. The the origin the origin comes from Mano in the sort of uh, original sort of Sanskrit um, sources. In truth, to practice virtuous Dharma is not easy. It is correct but difficult to do. Consider an easy example: the five precepts. We observe them all the time. They are the measure of worth for a real human. Refraining from killing or harming any living thing, as well as spreading goodwill to all. Precept number one. Not stealing. Respecting the rights of others. Two. Knowing restraint and moderation and what is proper in sexual relations. Three. Truthful speech. Four. And refraining from intoxicants. Five. If everyone observed them, there wouldn't be much trouble in the world. Even without realizing Dharma, there will be little conflict and we would really have a human world. There's not a lot to it. But those who keep the five precepts will have well-being. Recollecting the past will be okay because we've done no harm. And when death comes, there will be no regret. So we're studying for the purpose of becoming real humans. And uh, so that is in the um, the streams of merit sutta that I like to quote um, the uh, the the first three of the the eight streams of merit it's in the book of the eights predictably in the um, numerical discourses um, the uh, the first three are, are faith in Buddha Dhamma and Sangha unshakable faith in the in the triple gem and then the the last five are the the keeping the five precepts and that these are um, are called the uh, the five great gifts, the five Mahadana, uh, as well as the, uh, as uh, as being the precepts, because he said the Buddha is saying, if you keep the five precepts, then it's a great gift, because you give immeasurable freedom from fear, freedom from distress, freedom from anxiety, to uh, other beings. If you if you keep the five precepts, and you also give to yourself freedom from distress, freedom from fear, uh, freedom from anxiety. And so that it's a they're called the five the five great gifts as well as the five precepts the five mahadana, and so that uh, that um, so as he said we're studying for the purpose of becoming real humans and using the the precepts as a basic guideline for that. So seven o'clock has come around once again. So leave it there for today.